Hello, welcome to Myelopathy Matters, the official podcast of the charity myelopathy.org. Where we talk all things degenerative cervical myelopathy from the perspective of the professionals, the researchers, and the people living with myelopathy. I'm Ben Davies, neurosurgeon scientist and a founder of myelopathy.org. I'm Ewan Sadler, a person with DCM and also a founder of myelopathy.org. This is why myelopathy matters. So today we thought we would pause for reflection. It's been five years since myelopathy.org became a charity and four years since we started this podcast. One of our first episodes was recorded in New York when I had to share a hotel room with Ewan ahead of the AO Spine Rico DCM consensus meeting to establish the research priorities for DCM. Plenty of cosmetics, some meditation and a breakfast later, I managed to get Ewan into that meeting. Well, it's a warm welcome to New York. I'm with Ewan. We're um, sitting in our breakfast area in our small hotel in the French quarters, which is very romantic. I arrived <laughs> late last night, Ewan yesterday afternoon. We're all pretty excited about the forthcoming Rico DCM meeting. Yeah, I've uh, met a few members last night um, and I'm super excited to uh, meet with the rest of them today. So, you know, in person, I've pro- we've probably spoken to each other for the last five years. It must be interesting to meet because presumably you've chatted to them online but not necessarily heard their voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, everything's been, you know, done online and stuff there. Yeah. I think five years. Um, Back when, when the group was actually first started, you know, we were sitting in New York. It's mad, know, isn't it? All meeting up. Yeah, it is mad. It is mad. And is there anyone whose voice or in person seemed particularly different to their Facebook profile? Um, no, I think everybody, everybody speaks so nice. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, you know, great group of people that actually come from all all of the world, really. Well, Ewan's a little bit nervous because he's giving a small presentation before this meeting this morning. He's already had three cups of coffee. He's been to the toilet twice. I'm preparing yourself. I haven't heard the Welsh vocal warm-up or anything in the shower yet, but um, I'm expecting that later on. That audio was terrible. Did you get that mic from Wish? Probably. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Well, hopefully your podcasting skills have improved as well. Yeah, that trip was surreal. I think I arrived late in the evening and you landed in the middle of the night. So when I woke up, you were there. And it was my first trip out of the country on my own post-surgery. So when I got there, I think I went straight to bed. That was a tough journey, but well worth it. Well, I do think the um, audio quality has improved. Thanks very much to the input from from Cambridge TV. Instract was interesting in that, you know, we're now five years on, really, as you point out in that sort of interview there or that soundbite, that that meeting was five years on from when you started the support group. Yeah, I think we've been going for about nine years now altogether. Where has the time gone? I can remember clearly walking down uh, together from our, our hotel to meet all the other guys from Record. And a lot of them I'd known through the support group, you know, for years. I never actually met them in person. So... To be honest, I was a little bit nervous as well. It was a brilliant experience. And I think, you know, those two days really made myelopathy matter, you know, with what we've discussed and how far we've come from there with Recode. Yeah, I think it was um, a really powerful foundation that we set. I I remember that first morning because you came into this sort of small room, didn't we? And there was all the sort of people living with myelopathy on one side who, as you say, 
sort of knew each other, a little bit emotional trying to meet meet people the first time. You had all the professionals on the other side of the room. It was like a sort of school discoer at 16. Yeah. But as the day progressed, you know, everyone mingled and you could really see the power of that coming together, that interaction. And I think that's the sort of seed that we've continued to be able to sow. And it, it, it's profited tremendously for for the charity and also I think the, the disease, I hope. Yeah, and I think, you know, record has been so successful because you've got health professionals and you've got people with DCM working together. And like you said, you know, at the end of the, you know, the day, we're all sitting amongst each other discussing things. So, yeah, our community is definitely growing as well. Sort of with social media, media, I'm noticing a lot of health professionals getting in contact with us where, in the beginning, we were sort of searching for them. So, you know, things are starting to change. Um, the word is getting out there. The awareness side and the education is starting to flow outwards, which is a great thing. And I think we've come a long way from 2014 where everything sort of started. Yeah, I, I get the same impression. It's really hard to measure if you look at sort of what we look at in sort of professional circles in terms of, you know, how often... You know, articles are being looked at and cited you know it's it's growing uh, but we're still a small field you know, if i publish something in a different disease you know it gets 10 times as much activity as something in in myelopathy which i think is just a reflection mm -hmm. of of the size of our field but you do get the impression there is momentum there's more recognition of the term degenerative cervical myelopathy there's more buy-in to look at problems outside of um surgery itself and, and I really got that sentiment when we were invited to talk at Glasgow at the Brit Spine Conference. It was just a fantastic conference. You know, the opportunity came a little bit out of the blue, but it, it's a sort of, it happens every two years in the UK and they bring together the different stakeholders in spine surgery. So you had the, the physiotherapists, you had the surgeons, you had the chiropractors, you had a whole spectrum of people there. And to be honest, for the problems that we're trying to solve in terms of getting people diagnosed and able to access surgery, it's the perfect, perfect audience. And the feedback uh, and the follow-up we've had from that conference has been really fabulous. You were messaging me and saying how things would go in, and it was great to see, you know, us at Brit Spine, such a a massive platform. We wouldn't have thought of that, you know, going back 2014, 2015. That wasn't in our sight sort of thing. It's nice to see us on that on that stage, people being interested and people want to work with malopathy.org as well. We should be proud. Yeah, super proud of what we've achieved in, you know, the last nine years. I just wanted to bring up that conference again, Ian, because I think one of the things that really cut through was um, the video that you that you made to sort of sharing your story and just sort of, again, articulating that important message that that many of the problems or most of the problems, if you like, aren't really in the operating theatre. They're in the process uh, around it. And I know we sort of struggled to help you put that put that video together. But I mean, how did that feel to sort of be able to offload and go back to those dark moments? Was that a tricky thing for you? I think I, I was in two minds in doing the video, to be honest. Again, it was it was the same situation when you emailed me in 2014, when I was on um, social media trying to raise awareness of myelopathy, I was in two minds of sharing my story because I'm not a massive social media fan, but I looked back and thought to myself, look at the impact that my story has made on other people. So, you know, if other people can you know, look at the video and go, yeah, you know, this has happened to me. 
I'm not, you know, I'm not alone. And, you know, it's the main thing is educated and raised awareness of myopathy again. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it just shows that, you know, yeah, we've come a long way, you know, with myopathy awareness, mm-hmm. but there's a long way to go as well. We need to sort of, you know, get early diagnosis, get treatment, yeah. The main part for me is that people are not getting diagnosed and they're carrying on with their activities and then making the whole thing a lot worse, you know. Um, so if we can stop stop that and educate people and go, right, this is a slow motion spine cord injury, and that should tell them how sort of serious this thing is. I was lucky enough that I looked into the condition and I decided to stop doing what I was doing at that time because it could have ended up a lot worse for me as well. So, yeah, we're getting there, but, you know, there's a long way to go as well that we need to keep educating people and... I can distinctly remember when you wrote that story on our website. So this is this predates the charity. This is we just had, you know, Mark and Ben's information website and Ewan's support group. It was really, really early days, wasn't it? And I remember that we were trying to push out a survey to try and capture some perspective. And you wrote that blog for the website. And I don't know how it got shared, but honestly, in 72 hours, we'd had 2,000 people read that that article. And, you know, that survey ended up getting, I think, around... 850 people in it it was the biggest survey perspective oh. you know from people living with myopathy from all over the world it was huge and and it was you know we went on to share a few other stories from other members of the of your uh, support group and and they all they all had similar impacts of people buying in to understand see the problem and um and participate it was um it's been a really rich basis for trying to capture you know that sort of broader impact of the disease no doubt yeah 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 that's great you know I think because people can relate to it as well. You know, we we see it in the support group where people are more open now about their mental health. It's not just a physical condition. It affects you mentally as well. And people are talking about it. And that's what we really need, you know, people to open out. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, you know, to be honest, if you think about something that the, the, the charity and the community here has really been able to do well, you know, this is a this is a disease that's been known about for 200 years. And um, because it's treated by surgeons, a very has been a very surgically orientated uh, look at this disease. You know, they type look at operations and all that kind of stuff. But what we've been able to do, I think, is really by engaging the community. Uh, you know, started very much with people living with the disease, expanded on to you know, other professionals. Is you know, we've been very good at mapping out the bigger picture, building the evidence base to say, look this disease needs research investment. You know, this disease has huge disability, huge cost to society, affects many, many more people than we currently diagnose, probably um, 10 times more. Ultimately, it's that sort of narrative, I think, which is now starting to feed in around the world to help people raise raise the investment in, in research, get their studies going. And um, it all starts, I think, with that power of, of bringing people together and, and, and understanding that the lens that you see this disease in, you know, for me, it's a an operation it's not the full picture um and it's only really the people living with the disease that can be the constant glue to all of that and i think that's been i can't sort of describe that's the most powerful lesson i've taken away from this thing completely you know completely by surprise you know, i came in as a researcher used to come in with an idea doing a project etc 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 and it was sort of here where you know i've 
probably come in very young to this disease in terms of a professional. I hadn't got any sort of subconscious bias and what I thought we should be or should not be looking at. And it was just listening and, and sort of pivoting around the kind of things that you were bringing to me, Ewan, and, and all the rest of the support group that's really, really grown this. And I, and I think it's been tremendous that that continues to go, really. Yeah, and I think, you know, having you guys involved as well, the health professionals, do you remember Ask the Health Professional? We launched that. Yeah. And the, fee- and the feedback of that was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, because a lot of people haven't had the opportunity to go, right, I've got this symptom, I've got that symptom, I've also got this symptom going on as well. Are these all linked? You know, you've got so many questions. And like you see in, the, in your video that, you know, when it affects the spinal cord, a lot of things can go wrong, yeah? And you know, people were ticking the boxes going, okay, this isn't isn't all in my head. You know, s- s- this can happen when you've got myelopathy. So mentally you can sort of deal with it a lot easier as well. So I think, yeah, I think the combination of health professionals and the people with DCM has made myelopathy.org what it is. I think that's why it's worked so well. And I think we need to do more here. And maybe we should talk about this now, actually, this sort of juncture. Because I think if we look at our sort of origins, it was really around education and support for somebody, you know, going through that diagnosis treatment phase. And I, I guess it's worth a little bit reflecting. You can, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here. But, you know, if we look at the support group, I guess, which is a lot of the sort of foundation of of the charity it's been a great resource to many but it's not a perfect solution for everyone is it you know we've got an audience in there which is we think about 75 percent female is that right ewan yeah 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 whereas the disease yeah, is, is actually slightly more common in men than women so we're not reaching everyone and then there's the challenge that you know we've we've originated from the uk but the audience is you know the mostly north america Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how how does that sort of work, do you think, in terms of, you know, support, education that we can offer at the moment? Um, do you know, I, I looked at my, I looked at my Facebook friends list and a lot of my male friends don't actually use Facebook. So the majority on, on my friends list are, are women as well. Also, you'll find within the group that most of the conversations are actually started by women in the group as well and i think we we are reaching countries where you know facebook is the number one sort of social media platform to uh, say america and again you've got china and japan were probably using another means for social media are the platforms that we don't use yeah I'm, i've been banging on about this for ages if we could get our own sort of forum Mm-hmm. Onto, the, onto the website, yeah, where people sort of log onto that. They can discuss myelopathy there openly, yeah, openly in private. Then I think we would sort of get a wider audience. Sure. Yeah, I don't know what the stats are of the people visiting our page, you know, what, what countries are the, the majority. Yeah, I think it's down to whatever social media platform specific countries actually using. Yeah. is what's actually affecting the numbers, you know, going yeah. to a yeah. group. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can I can sense that's limitation. I mean, I don't use Facebook, um, so I, you know, I'd be immediately, you know, unable to to access yeah. all of that. And I guess you know, not everyone wants to discuss quite personal things in a in a forum, perhaps. 
Yeah, yeah. And you get, you know, we get a lot of people emailing me, you know, the older generation and say, we haven't got a Facebook account. Is there any other way that we can, you know, get support? And on a few, you know, on a few occasions, I've actually rung them up myself and had a chat with them. And it's just, you know, that, that initial mm. contact with the person with myelopathy that understands and gets what you're going through. It can mean a lot. It can mean a lot and go right, you know. Yeah. It's not all in my head. Um, this happens, that happens. You know, what sort of tips have you got for, for example, sleeping and things like that? It's, you know, it's it's really important. It's it's really important that we get the support out there to yeah. everybody. Yeah. And obviously the sort of support offerings evolved a little bit. We've got Esther now, haven't we? Is she on Zoom or Google? meats or something which has been very popular it's a different feeling as well you know when you pop into esther's coffee breaks and whatever it's you'd think it would be everybody is on about myelopathy and so on and it's it's not it's a bit more of a community spirit where you know they talk about things in general you know every topic is probably covered in there and yeah yeah it's we, we we are getting there. We've tried it in um, in America as well with Sheila. She's done um, like a, a virtual meeting as well to cover the US hours and so on. So we've got a good mix of moderators from the UK and moderators and admin from America as well. As well, yeah, we got, we're pretty international. You know. and, and don't get me wrong, the international thing has been tremendous for the sort of lens on the disease as a whole. But I, I guess in helping people on an individual level, it, it, it can make things more difficult you know, in terms of how they navigate their particular circumstances, their systems. The disability stuff that we've tried to help with, again, it's it's very different, different call because it's jurisdiction dependent, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we've got, I know, I think we've got um, a benefit page up there. We got a bit from the US as well. But, you know, if things with the US, everything's probably different from state to state as well. Yeah. But, you know, but it's all, you know, the feedback we have is from the people with myelopathy. And if they want something on the website, you know, get in touch and say, right, we need this information. And we, you know, we try our best to get that information out to them. And I think it can be hard to see behind the scenes of a, of a website, can't it? But, I mean, we are reflecting on on lots of this and trying to evolve the the support offering and because i think one of the other things that we've seen is that this is not just necessarily about helping the person going through treatment but actually for the community we've seen that people who have sort of come through and 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 sort of empowered to be able to help others that in itself is quite empowering it seems to sort of help them you know look more positively on the situation sometimes what do you think yeah, definitely. It's you know, I'm I was looking back at the journey. Um, you know, I wanted to make a difference. I want to get the awareness out there. And I look back and think to myself, you know, it was a really low point in my life. I I you know, I'd had this devastating sort of diagnosis. I didn't know how to deal with it properly. Something in the back of my mind was going right. I need to get the awareness campaign going on this. And I think everybody has got the same power to do to make a difference. You know, they can start something or, you know, if they want to get involved with the charity, 
same with Esther's Esther's Coffee Morning. We didn't know how that was going to take off. We gave it a go, and it's been brilliant, you know. And it gives it gives someone someone a, a sense of purpose as well when they do it. And there's nothing better than someone turning around and saying, "Thank you very much. I feel, you know, much better because you've explained this and explained that." And I guess we could talk a little bit about sort of you know where the charity is trying to move now in the sort of short term because, you know, we have been, as I say, looking at this and, and trying to evolve. Because I know from my personal clinic experience that you know a lot of a lot of patients, as you mentioned, don't have Facebook. You know, and Zahabia, who's our great um, director now, she's the only. In- employee of this uh, charity uh, who showed yeah. up lots of the sort of uh, legwork on all sorts of things, but they are busy preparing uh, an application to one of the big charitable funding, uh, the National Lottery in the UK, to try and set up a telephone line, because I think there's an opportunity there to have it run by the community who've, who really have the expertise, have lived through that, been there, done that, that right ear. And then we get access, I think, to people who, who can't use social media, who, who just want to pick up an old-fashioned telephone and, yeah. and, and and ask those questions that relate specifically to them. Um, because you know, there is a danger with the, such a disease, which is so different individual by individual, country by country, that you, you, you can provide a lot of information on the website, but it's it's quite diverse. And how do you bring that down to the individual circumstances? It, it, it needs somebody to probably help um help them to do that yeah it can also scare the living daylights up there as well when you information overload oh this could happen that could happen where do you want to see us in the next five years you in what would you like to have done five years on from now um we could have our own forum yeah something that anybody could access um the helpline would be brilliant as well more awareness more education we're still having people going into um, going to see the doctors and, you know, it's taking forever for them to get a diagnosis and, you know, and treated, untimely treatment as well. We need to cut that down and get people talking about myelopathy. We talk about MS and MS is a, you know, is a household name. Everybody knows what MS is, even though that their family members haven't been affected by them. And I think we need to sort of reach that pinnacle, that point, yeah, so that we've got people talking about it, so they do, that they know that these symptoms, you know, could be myelopathy related, and they can put things, things in place then for them not to sort of make the condition a lot worse. So, yeah, education awareness and support. Yeah, I guess um, on the research side, I mean, I think, five years from now i would love you know to see a very detailed care pathway for this that people really understand how it all fits together you know what needs to happen when the importance of getting things done quickly in in many cases and have it all mapped out and and ultimately you know try and get that implemented because i think the solutions on a care pathway perspective are going to be pretty consistent amongst most certainly developed uh, healthcare, healthcare uh, providers. Yeah. Um, and I think we've got the raw ingredients to do that now. We've got all the different people coming into the charity. You know, we've got the frontline physios, the neurologists, surgeons, rehab, all the stakeholders are starting to come together to help us put that recommendation. There's a few more knowledge gaps to fill, but we are getting there. And I guess it you know, comes down to a little bit about how we get there. And I mean, from a charity perspective, I think we're at this position now where 
you know, if we look back five years ago, you and this was something that that you and me could manage in our spare time. <laughs> you know, it was sort of yeah. it was a web page and you know a few bits and pieces, but it, it it's got to that size now where it really needs people employed. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, it, it, it's so hard to sort of you know uh, <laughs> to raise money to pay for people to, to to do a job. But I think the charity is getting to a stage now where it's it's impossible to really catalyze all the different directions it's going unless you've got some you know two or three personnel there Monday to Friday overseeing, managing, and and, and doing a lot of this a lot of this legwork really because it's it's got to that size now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We need you know we need to look at donations and things now to expand and to push forward to where we need to go you know if we are going to have things like phone lines we need people to man them and so on if we wanted a forum on the website that would cost us money as well so yeah it's it's time for malopathy.org to spread its wings a little bit more and get to that next level i think yeah, I think so. And uh, this is a this is a big challenge. I mean, asking for money is difficult, isn't it? Uh, particularly for a condition that no one's heard of. Um, yeah. I guess, you know, people listening, you know, how can you help this? Well, I think, you know, there's obviously the obvious thing with charities is to go out and do events and, and try and fundraise. And I think uh, the experience so far is absolutely, we'd love to support you doing that, but they are quite a commitment. Uh, and and whether or not it's it's that easy, as I say, to ask people uh, for for money about a disease they don't know, it doesn't necessarily work out so well. I think one of the things that, as you've mentioned, you know, is we we do need to try and improve the sort of regular donation base. Don't we? Just you know, a pound a month, two pound a month, five pound a month. That kind of revenue across the community that we're now serving would be quite transformational for us, actually. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we've we've got nearly 3,000 sort of members in the group and save someone, you know, the members give a pound a month on a rolling sort of basis that, you know, that would really put us in a much better situation, you know, and mm-hmm. and, we, and we can look at other things then as well. So, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's something that we need, we need to look at, I think, because as I say, we need to get to a position where this is financially sustainable and there's people really driving it. And because the other big source of revenue for charities of this size is charitable grants, but they themselves are take a lot of time to prepare and submit. You need to, you know, back yeah. on the fact you're going to probably, you know, fail at half. Um, so it's a sort of, you know, it's a constant battle bringing the money in. And it was really interesting uh, uh, learning a bit about charity fundraising because one of the interesting things, I didn't know if you know this, Ewan, but particularly from the UK perspective, is that um, you know the amount of money that you're allowed to apply for slightly depends on A, your income, but also how much reserves you have. So if you had a really good year and you fundraised really well and you yeah. suddenly had um, expenditure which was less than a year of your assets, then a lot of grants won't fund you. It's almost like you have to constantly oh. be at this sort of tipping point of near failure <laughs> to <laughs> keep the thing going. Wow. It'll be stressful. Um, wow. wow. And, and, and I guess like any business trying to scale, if we, if we scale a bit more, then, you know, we'll, we'll really be going to be all in. And it's a bit, it's a bit, it feels a bit boom or bust, but, but I think we are ready to make that step now. Yeah. When you're in business, it's all about the cash flow, isn't it? And it's the it's the opposite way that the charities work. I didn't know that, but yeah. But if anybody wants, you know, something on the website, you know, get in touch. If they want to donate, you can donate through the website as well, and you can do it as a monthly donation, and so on. 
but we'd love to hear from you as well what what you would like to see on the website as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and where you'd like us to be in five years time maybe we can work yeah. together to make to make that happen mm, yeah what what would you like to see i do know there's uh, one that's on top of the list is information leaflets to get out there but at the moment we've got that the the pdf file that, that you can you know scan and that will go straight to your website that's that that's got done really well and you used that in britspine didn't you yeah we did we did and we are working on that i mean i think um we've got irena just finishing off her uh core information set project as well so i think we are we're building nicely there. i mean i think one of my again lessons i think with with myelopathy is that you know if you don't start from the very beginning of the story the foundations you know Mm i.e what do people actually want to know you know it's very easy for me to write something down and give that to somebody and go oh here you go here's an information leaflet but actually you know like the research priorities if you start by asking people what they need to know try and work out what the core elements are you can you can make that resource much better so it's just a signpost to say we are working towards that leaflet that's not far away but we have been taking our time to make sure that it contains exactly just what is needed rather than totally presenting someone with a textbook on a very yeah. uh, very complicated disease and again information overload if they look at that you know you don't want to scare the living daily so of someone as well do you so i guess one of the other ways that many organizations and charities fundraise is by having some really you know visible uh perhaps wealthy uh or connected to wealth um ambassador isn't it you know, think of superman christopher reese foundation yeah yeah oh, yes or elton john and the elton john ihfa foundation i mean these these people as individuals have really um been the foundations of a huge movement in terms of raising raising money which then raises awareness it raises research and i just do not understand why myelopathy hasn't got somebody similar you know there must be people out there in that sort of position um We've we've actually reached out to a few people and we haven't had anything back, you know. But yeah, we're desperate to sort of get someone who can be the is it the face of myelopathy, yeah, out mm-hmm. there that can sp- spread awareness for us. And like I said, it's all about networking. Someone out there must know someone famous with myelopathy, mm-hmm. you know. Not that I wish it on anybody, but you know, if they, if they do know anybody. They can, you know, please get in touch. Yeah, there's your task. So up to the community, find someone famous. If you can, With- subscribe and donate something. But yes. I can broadly, let us know what, what, what and where you want this to be in, in five years because we are really committed and working as hard as we can to, to achieve it. Well, thanks very much for joining us as we reflect on five years of the charity, 10 years of myloptie.org. Please do get in touch if you want to let us know where the charity should be in five years' time. But of course, this was Myelopathy Matters from myelopathy.org. The podcast produced as always by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. To keep up to date with the latest in the field of degenerative cervical myelopathy, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app. And do get in touch at any time, ben at myelopathy.org. So until next time, goodbye.